The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. Coming up here on episode 28 of the podcast that takes a deep dive into what's going on around the NFC East. The Eagles' main rivals in the division add a big piece. What it means for the Cowboys and the Eagles and their rivalry here in 2020. Jerry Jones also says... Fans will be in the stands in Dallas this fall. I don't know about that. Who benefits the most from the Darius Geis release with the Washington football team and some news from your New York football giants as well? Do the Giants have more talent, more good young talent than the Eagles do? ESPN says so. Plus, I'll have the five Eagles players who are the most important to this team being successful here in 2020, not named. Carson Wentz. All that coming up here in the next few minutes of Eye on the Enemy. But let's start out in Dallas, where the Cowboys have added a big piece to their defensive line. Defensive end Everson Griffin, who up to this point had spent his entire 10-year career with the Minnesota Vikings, to a one-year $6 million deal with the Cowboys. He beefs up a pass rush that was led by Demarcus Lawrence and Alden Smith. Um, you know, I think that this also means that the Cowboys do not do not believe that Randy Gregory will be reinstated by the league. Um, the Cowboys appear to still think that there's a chance that Gregory uh, will be welcomed back, but it doesn't look like it at the moment. And especially once you sign a guy like Griffin to a one-year $6 million deal, I think they're planning for life without Randy Gregory. Uh, Griffin had a nice bounce-back season for the Vikings in 2019, had eight sacks. He now has 74 and a half sacks in his career. He had a career-high 13 sacks back in 2017 when the Vikings went to the NFC Championship game where they lost to your Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, now, listen, I think this is obviously a player who's going to help them. He's probably a situa- situational pass rusher uh, in obvious passing downs. He can still get to the quarterback. He can still wreak havoc in the backfield. He can still make life miserable for opposing offensive lines, and the Eagles are going to have their hands full with him. But as as Jimmy Kemsky from BGN Radio noted at the Philly Voice, uh, there, there's a reason Griffin had gone so long without being signed here this offseason. He has a history of some apparent mental issues uh, that he's dealt with over the last couple of years. Um, a number of Jimmy outlines them all in a, a piece he wrote for the Philly Voice, so I recommend you check that out. But, you know, I do feel like he seems to have bounced back from that. Uh, last season was a very solid and productive season for Minnesota. Is he as good as he was two or three years ago? Probably not. Probably not. That's why the Cowboys were able to get him on a one-year, $6 million deal. Uh, and 
it's probably why the Eagles decided to add Vinnie Curry over him. I mean, the Eagles could have gotten involved in the Everson Griffin uh, sweepstakes, but they decided to sit out. And, and $6 million, it's not nothing because we all know that the salary cap is going to look very different in 2021. And the Eagles need to need to have as much cap room as possible to roll over into next year in order to give themselves a little bit of breathing room. And so signing Vinnie Curry is obviously a much cheaper option than going out and signing Everson Griffin. But as an Eagles fan, I sure would feel a whole lot better about having Ever, Ever, Everson Griffin as my number three edge rusher as opposed to Vinnie Curry. This just makes the Cowboys stronger. I, I mean... Is he a pro bowler? Is he a, is he an all pro anymore? Probably not, but he, he doesn't hurt that defensive line at all. He, he's still a very good player. And so the Cowboys improve themselves. The Cowboys just look like they've got all this momentum right now. They had a really good draft. They've had a very good offseason. Uh, Dak Prescott, for whatever you think he might compare to Carson Wentz, is a good NFL quarterback. Is he a quarterback that can win you the Super Bowl? I don't. I don't know. It doesn't seem like he's been able to get over the mental hump of of winning a bunch of playoff games, obviously, but neither has Carson Wentz yet to that point. So it, the Cowboys, in my mind, are the better team in the NFC East right now. If I had to pick, I would probably would pick the Dallas Cowboys at this point. And Everson Griffin helps a defensive line, which frankly, needed a little bit more help. And so this is an improvement for, for Dallas. Uh, you know, they've got uh, they've got a number of good players on that defensive front now, and uh, it's going to be a unit that's, uh, that can be a little bit scary, especially for a team like the Eagles, who have some question marks on their offensive line. Of course, you know, I'm going to talk about Andre Dillard a little bit more in, in just a few minutes, but uh, you've got uh, Jason Peters at right guard. I, Brandon Brooks is somebody you don't have to worry about at right guard. There's a question as to how well Jason Jason Peters is going to adjust at his age to the different a different side of the offensive line playing in the interior. It's a fair question and and when you have a a good pass rush like the Cowboys are going to have it's it could pose problems for Philadelphia. So, uh, we'll have to see how it uh, how it maps out, but uh, the Cowboys with a surprise signing this week going out and getting Everson Griffin on a 1-year 6 million dollar deal. There is still another edge rusher out there. Davian Clowney's still on the vine. Uh, he's he still wants the big money, and he hasn't signed yet. Uh, maybe he just decides if the big money's not there, he'll he'll just opt out of the season and, and try again next year. Um, certainly, no harm in that at, at this point in in the off season. It doesn't sound like he he would get, you know, would he get more than Everson Griffin? He's worth more than Everson Griffin, but it's also fair to point out Jadavian Clowney had three and a half sacks last year. So, how good is Jadavian Clowney? Is he more name, or is or is he a truly productive NFL player? He's flashed Pro Bowl type stuff at different points in his career, but uh, the results last year—I mean, uh, Derek, Derek Barnett had twice as many sacks as Jadavian Clowney last year. So, just something to consider when we we think about additional edge rushers the Eagles could add. I think the Eagles are done, by the way. I don't—I don't think they're adding anybody else. We keep hearing Clowney to the New York Giants rumors, and that's been going on all offseason, but uh, so far. That hasn't happened. A couple other uh, pieces of uh, news from Dallas camp. Jerry Jones says fans will be in the stands at Cowboys games this fall. It's going to probably be at about 50% capacity. That's the re- Those are the requirements as laid out by Texas Governor Greg Abbott. Obviously, uh, NFL te- the NFL is letting each individual team decide whether or not to allow fans in the stands. Uh, the Cowboys have canceled season tickets for 2020. So as they go about the process of deciding 
how they're going to allow fans in the stands. It'll be interesting to see how they deal with season ticket holders, whether or not they get first crack at buying individual tickets. My guess is that they would. Some teams have already said that there will not be fans in the stands this fall, including the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, Eagles officials said uh, earlier this week on Tuesday that fans would not be allowed to attend professional sports games this year, which includes the Eagles. So there'll be no, no fans in the stands at Eagles games in 2020. Um, Jerry Jones, for his part, said the Dallas Cowboys plan on playing football and we plan on, imagine I'm doing this in Jerry's voice, and we plan on playing in front of our fans. I think it's important. I think it's important individually. I think it's important for the country. The NFL can be an inspirational part of how we address COVID, not only this year, but how we go into 2021. Uh, Shortly after Jones made those comments, uh, they laid out the guidelines of what would have to happen in order for fans to be in attendance at Cowboys games. They would have to wear a face covering at all times once inside AT&T Stadium. There would also be mobile-only ticketing, 100% cashless transactions while at the game, and the Cowboys would permit tailgating, but with a mandate that each car was at least one space apart and fans would not be allowed to commingle in the pre-selected tailgating areas. How do you enforce that? That's a, that's a big question too. You're going to have, you're going to put some, I guess you're going to have to have police going through there, making sure that people are abiding by the guidelines. I don't know, man. It's, you know, at t stadium can hold a hundred thousand fans. So you're talking about potentially 50,000 fans at Cowboys games in the fall. Now, maybe COVID-19 is in a much different place in the fall. The expectation is that the second wave comes in the fall because of the colder weather. But I really don't know that we've exited the first wave at this point. So it's an interesting decision by the Cowboys, and it's always a decision that can be reversed. What's interesting is that you would think that the NFL would jump in here and issue a mandate as to whether or not teams would be allowed to have fans in the stands, just from a competitive standpoint, because so much of home games in the NFL has to do with fans giving teams a home field advantage, making life difficult for the opposition. And right now you've got local municipalities, it seems, making the decision for as to whether or not teams are going to be allowed to have fans in the stands. Well, the Eagles will not have fans in the stands in Philadelphia, as proclaimed as declared by Pennsylvania state officials. Texas is handling it differently. And certainly the coronavirus is different in different parts of the country. And, you know, there's a lot of debate as far as schools and all that is concerned. But with with regard to football games, it would seem as though teams that are allowed to have fans in the stands will have a, a, a big competitive advantage over teams that do not have that advantage for their home games. And so, uh, you know, this should be a uniform decision by the NFL commissioner. You know, I, I it seemed, I mean, maybe, and maybe that will come as they get closer to the season, but uh, it will give some teams a big advantage and others not if fans are allowed in the stands this fall. And it sounds like so far, each individual team is going to be making their own decisions based on what local officials have to say about it. It'll be very interesting to see how this plays out over the next few weeks. Let's move over to the Washington football team. And we mentioned last week that the team had released running back Darius Geis after he was charged with domestic violence and arrested and his NFL career is likely finished. He had some issues in college as well that uh, forced him to drop in the draft. He was probably going to go in the first round, but uh, some issues at LSU, I think, are what most team would scared off most teams uh, when it came time to pick him. Uh, the team added Ruben Foster off the waiver wire this week. He's coming off multiple knee tears and he has had some, some uh, personal off the field issues that resulted in the 49ers just cutting him loose uh, last year. 
the guy I mentioned before that it seemed like Adrian Peterson would be a big beneficiary from Darius Geis not being there. And, and, and Peterson probably will get the majority of the workload running the ball. But this is a huge opportunity for Washington's third round pick, Antonio Gibson, who I thought I thought it was a reach for them to go with Gibson in the third round. He just did not play that much in college. He didn't he didn't get that much of an opportunity to show what he could do in college. He had really one year where I think he caught something like 30-some balls and, and had 30-some rushing attempts. It's just not a lot of action for a, a, a guy you're hoping will be a major contributor to your offense here this year. But Gibson certainly has the the looks of a player who could be a breakout. I mean, he's got 4.39 speed, 228-pound uh, guy. Uh, he he, you know, played one season at Memphis. Took a lot of snaps as a wide receiver. I think it's clear that he's going to be a running back. Most that's what head coach Ron Rivera said that they plan to use him as a running back. But uh, he he's going to be a guy. I think in very much kind of like what Miles Sanders was at the start of last year for the Eagles. Mostly a receiving option coming out of the backfield, and they probably try to work him in more as a runner as the season goes along. It'll be, you know, the the, the, the Washington football team has Adrian Peterson, J.D. McKissick, Peyton Barber, Bryce Love. They've got a number of different guys. None of them, none of them have, I think, the ability that Antonio Gibson has. He just is very raw and is very unproven. So, Initially, it sounds like he's going to get some work as a passing down back, um, catching balls out of the backfield, gadget plays. Uh, he'll be used on kick returns, probably not getting more than five or ten carries out of the backfield per game. But as the season goes along, it'll be I, I, it's make, it would make sense to me for Ron Rivera to work him into the offense a little bit more. He's a third round pick. He the, the Washington had no second round pick last year, so he was their second player selected in the draft, and Washington knew that they needed to get some talent on the offensive side of the ball, which is why they reached for Gibson probably a little bit, probably more like a fourth or a fifth round pick, but they knew they had to get somebody to give Dwayne Haskins another option out of the backfield to, to, to hand the ball off to somebody with a little bit of, with a little bit of juice, because Adrian Peterson doesn't have the juice anymore. But you got Terry McLaurin on the outside. There's not a whole lot else on that offense to get excited about. At least you can get excited about Antonio Gibson, and it sounds like he will get a, a run here uh, in 2020 with Darius Geis no longer on the team. So another piece of Washington news that came out of the Washington Post this week, it looks like the minority owners of the team are pressuring Daniel Snyder to sell the team. Now, there's only so much that they can do, and we all know by now how stubborn Daniel Snyder is. He says he has no desire to sell the team. Of course, no, what... What would you expect? And he owns about 60% of the team. So it doesn't matter how much pressure they put on him. We've seen Daniel Snyder be pretty obstinate in the past, and he's not going to be forced into selling the team. But you've got FedEx Corp CEO Fred Smith, Black Diamond Capital Chairman Robert Rothman, and NVR Inc. Board Chairman Dwight Schar, uh, the three main principal owners, they own about 40% of the team, and it seems as though they are trying to get him out. Obviously, Washington fans are praying that that happens. Snyder recently filed legal papers claiming that one of the minority owners was trying to leak defamatory information about him. What what else defamatory could there be out there on Daniel Snyder? He's one of the least liked owners in professional sports. It's you, you, you don't have to go very long to argue that Daniel Snyder probably shouldn't be an NFL owner, but 
can't force him out. That's going to have to come from the league and the other owners, and it doesn't sound like they're ready to do that just yet. But interesting goings-on inside uh, the front offices of the Washington football team. Let's move up to New York, and let's get a, a quick check on what's going on with the Giants. They have brought back edge rusher linebacker Marcus Golden. Uh, Golden was holding out. He was uh, he was looking for a, a big time deal. Didn't get it. So he's going to come back um, on a unrestricted free agent tender that will pay him four point one million dollars this year, plus another million dollars if he reaches some incentives. Uh, he's a 29 year old. Played mostly outside linebacker last year for the Giants, but had a, a big statistical season, notching 10 sacks uh, for the Giants. And uh, the Giants uh, got him on a cheap deal and ended up uh, it worked out beautifully for them. He was hoping that hoping that last year's 10 sack season would be uh, a boon for him, but that just didn't that didn't occur this offseason. The Giants got him on the cheap because he had a 12 and a half sack breakout season in 2016 with the Cardinals, but uh, a knee surgery basically sapped him of uh, two years of effectiveness. He signed a one-year $3.75 million deal last year with the Giants and now only gets $4.1 million, so a very slight raise for Marcus Golden. And what some of the metrics you're see that, that have been talked about with Marcus Golden, yes, he got 10 sacks, but a lot of those seem to be getting sacks as kind of in the right place at the right time as plays broke down. That Of all the players who, who amassed at least 10 sacks last year, he, his time to the quarterback was the slowest among all of them, which essentially means he was kind of cleaning up the garbage for a lot of those sacks and and benefiting from good play, uh, you know, good play by the secondary where the quarterback had to hold on to the ball for a long time or uh, the defensive line uh, pressured the quarterback outside and Marcus Golden was there to clean up. So the odds he has another 10 sack season are pretty remote. And you can look at some of those uh, secondary statistics and some of those other metrics and, and say, OK, I can understand why maybe a, a 10 sack guy like Marcus Golden did not find uh, the market to be robust for him this offseason. But uh, clearly he helps the Giants defense. He's a solid player on the outside, uh, in the outside linebacker spot. And uh, it's an important spot for the Giants, who I think are going to be improved this year. Again, uh, new new head coach Joe Judge uh, is going to take some time to get everybody up to speed on, on a new system with no OTAs here in spring. But uh, getting Marcus Golden back, somebody they know, somebody who knows them, uh, will help the Giants uh, a little bit here in 2020 as well. Not a huge talent. But looking at the talent the Giants have, I thought this was interesting. ESPN says the Giants have the second most talent in the NFL under 25 years old. And when you look down the list of names, you I get it. Saquon Barkley, obviously, is a dynamic runner, still under 25. You have defensive lineman Dexter Lawrence, quarterback Daniel Jones, uh, this year's first-round pick Andrew Thomas, uh, wide receiver Darius Slayton, guard Will Hernandez, all really good players that the Giants have under 25 years old. That is a really solid core for this team. Again, I don't think the Giants are ready to compete for the postseason, but that is a great base to build around. Now, we don't know exactly what Andrew Thomas is going to give them, and Darius Slayton's going into just his second year. He looked good last year. We'll see what happens. We'll see with Daniel Jones. He he might take a small step back this year, seeing as how, it, again, he has to learn a new offensive system. But everything you're hearing in camp from from uh, from New York is that Jones looks very good. And of, So you've got a team here in the Giants that have Dave Gettleman, for all we've criticized him, has put together a a good young roster of players under 25, and we'll see how they develop under Joe Judge, but it's a good base for a rebuilding Giants team to start from. The Ravens, if you're wondering, were the team with the most talent under 25 years old. Where do the Eagles rank? (sighs) 29th. Only the Vikings, Patriots, and Falcons were worse as far as talent under 25. 
as of now, the Eagles really have only four starters projected under 25 years old. Miles Sanders, who is the best player on the team under 25. Andre Dillard at left tackle, for whom the jury is still very much out. Derek Barnett entering his fourth year still under 25. And Avante Maddox, who are all 24 years old. TJ Edwards is 24. He will likely be a starter. Uh, You have J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, who's 23, and Jalen Rager is 21. They all will likely get some time starting as well, or at least playing a major part in this team. But uh, again, big question marks for for T.J. Edwards and Andre Dillard, Ortega-Whiteside, and even Jalen Rager. We don't know exactly what they're going to get from him. Uh, What about the other teams in the division? Washington is number 11. Uh, They have obviously been building through the draft the last couple of years. They have some really good young players under 25, but that's essentially all they have. Uh, New defensive end Chase Young. Uh, You've got Montez Sweat, Darren Payne, Dwayne Haskins, Terry McLaurin. Essentially, those are your main guys under 25. Uh, Again, the jury out on Dwayne Haskins as well. We don't know exactly how he's going to look in his second season, much like much like uh, Daniel Jones. But uh, Washington has been compiling some decent talent under 25. It's just not much of it at the skill positions. The Cowboys, number 24 in terms of talent under 25 years old, according to ESPN. Leighton Vander Esch, it's amazing he's still under 25. He seems like he's been killing the Eagles for 10 years. Uh, Connor Williams, uh, wide receiver Michael Gallup, and of course uh, last year's first round pick CeeDee Lamb, all very good players for the Cowboys under 25. So the Giants, surprisingly, have some have some great talent. That's, again, one of the reasons why I think they will be improved this year. We don't know exactly because of the the, the lack of OTAs exactly how well they're going to do, but I just have this, this feeling in my gut that the Giants are going to bounce back and be a much better team here in 2020. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, I will give you who I think the five most important Eagles players are going to be in 2020 if this team is going to go back and make a playoff run or at least win the NFC East. We'll do that coming up next here on Eye on the Enemy. And we're back on Eye on the Enemy. So it goes without saying that Eagles quarterback Carson Wentz is the most important player on this team. And really, you can make that argument for any quarterback on any roster. The quarterback is the most important player on any team. If you lose your quarterback, if if the Packers lose Aaron Rodgers, if the Seahawks lose Russell Wilson, if the Buccaneers lose Tom Brady, the Chiefs lose Patrick Mahomes, if any of those guys go down, Their teams are drastically different and most likely far worse without them. And it's the same with the Eagles and Carson Wentz. Because you've got Nate Sudfeld as their backup quarterback. It's unlikely (laughs) Nate Sudfeld is going to take the team on a deep playoff run. You know, who knows? Nate Sudfeld could be Sudfeld. Who knows? But it's unlikely, okay? And Jalen Hurts is going to open the season likely as the number three quarterback. He's not going to be ready to lead the team on a deep run. So outside of Carson Wentz, Who are the most important Eagles on this roster? There are a lot of important players. There are a lot of players who need to step up if this team is going to put themselves on top in the NFC East. Because look, it's unlikely a 9-7 season is going to get it done this year to win the division. You're going to need to win 10 or 11 games. The Cowboys look really good. The Cowboys are going to be a lot of preseason preseason, uh, prognosticators picks to win the Super Bowl or at least represent the NFC, go on a deep run. Nobody's going to be picking the Eagles. I I think there's going to be very few outlets that have the Eagles ahead of the Cowboys in the NFC East. So the Eagles need some things to go right if they're going to win the division for the second year in a row. And last year about this time, I wrote a piece for Bleeding Green Nation entitled, Why Deshaun Jackson is the Most Important Eagle Not Named Carson Wentz. And this week, I, I kind of updated that piece, and I listed my five most important Eagles not named Carson Wentz. And I looked back at what I wrote about Deshaun last year, and I wrote, 
If Deshaun goes down, the Birds will once again be devoid of a big play weapon and become the plotting move-the-sticks operation they were last season. His skill set is unique. He is the only one who can do what he does. The Eagles can win without Jackson, but they are far more dynamic with him, and no one else can do what he does. Dang, John. Uh, <laughs> I kind of picked... I mean, that's I mean, listen, that's not earth-shattering. I think most people realize that if the Eagles lost to Sean Jackson, the offense would be hurting. But they did. They struggled. Uh, they were struggling in the opening week game against the, the Washington football team last year until Carson connected with Jackson on two long touchdown bombs. That turned things around, and the Eagles went on to win 32-27. to You could see what Deshaun brought to the team. He caught eight passes for 154 yards and two touchdowns in that game, and then we didn't hear from him again because of the core muscle issues. So the Eagles did become a plotting move-the-sticks operation. They finally found a little bit of a rhythm in the final month of the season, but it's clear that Deshaun Jackson still is the most important member of this offense. Now, going out and getting Jalen Rager will act as insurance against another Deshaun injury. But there really is no replacing his skill set and experience. If you lose that, you're asking your first-round pick an awful lot. Because I'm not confident that J.J. Ortega-Whiteside is going to have a, a bounce-back second season. I don't know when Alshon Jeffrey is going to get back, and if he does come back, how good he's going to be. And how much can you rely on Greg Ward? I, I like Greg Ward. I, you're hearing great things out of camp. But I know the Eagles are expecting some really big things from Greg Ward this year. But he's not a number one. He's not a guy who's going to stretch the field. The offense goes back to being exactly what it was if Deshaun goes down. He, in my mind, still is the most important member of this football team, not named Carson Wentz. He is still the one guy the Birds can least afford to lose this offseason if they want to win the NFC East. The second most important player, as far as I'm concerned, is Darius Slay. The biggest offseason acquisition, the guy who you traded some important draft capital for, he's going to be the guy that shadows opposing teams' wide receivers, it sounds like, and he provides the secondary with the big with the, with the stopper that they need. And he allows the team to experiment with Jalen Mills at safety. And it also means that the other cornerbacks on the team, Avante Maddox, Sidney Jones, Craven LeBlanc, Russell Douglas, can all slide down the depth chart. Now, obviously, the Eagles need Avante Maddox or Sidney Jones or LeBlanc to step up and be a capable number two. Most teams have two good wide receivers. And in the case of the Cowboys, three. And I will, I will, I thought about putting Sidney Jones or Avante Maddox in this spot because I think. Slay has been incredibly durable, incredibly consistent. I don't think there's much to worry about with Darius Slay this year. So really, you the Eagles need, it's almost as important for the Eagles to get consistent play from Avante Maddox or Sidney Jones. But if, but if Slay gets hurt, or if he underperforms, the entire secondary falls apart. That's not the case with Maddox or Jones, and which is why Slay is a more important part, a more important member of the defense. Everything the Eagles want to do in the secondary is contingent upon Darius Slay being who he has been throughout his career. There's no reason to think he's going to get hurt. He's really never been hurt in his career. And there's no reason to think he's not going to be really good. But they cannot lose him. He, and he, can, he has to be what he's been in order for the Eagles' defense to be of the caliber necessary to win the NFC East. Number three on my list is TJ Edwards. Last week, Jatavis Brown retired at just 26 years old. The linebacking core was already weak. His retirement made it even weaker. Nate Gary is your number one linebacker, and he's going to be counted on even more moving forward, as will TJ Edwards, the undrafted free agent. 
he's going to be expected to hold down the mic spot, which is an incredibly important position on the defense. I know the Eagles don't care about linebackers all that much, but it's important. You you can't have a team with no linebackers. I don't care. I don't care how good your line is. I don't care how good your secondary is. You got to have something at linebacker. And over the last couple of years, Nigel Bradham did not play well last year. But prior to that, Bradham was a good player, as was Jordan Hicks when he was healthy. So while linebacking is not a priority for this team, they are still employed by every team in the NFL. The Eagles do still have at least a couple of them on the field for most for most of their defensive alignments. And so I think having TJ Edwards in the middle hold down that spot competently is going to be important for this team. He doesn't have to be a pro bowler in order for this defense to work. But with the lack of depth at that position, he needs to be a competent starter in the NFL in order for Jim Schwartz's defense to function properly. I think linebacker is a more important position than than this team and most of the people who follow this team think that it is. But when you look at the really good defenses, so many of them have linebackers who can play. Even in a 4-3 defense, you need some guys. I know, you know, I get it. I get it. More teams are going three wideouts. You're playing nickel most of the time. But even you need to have those two linebackers able to make plays for you, able to disrupt some passes to, to tight ends and running backs and to cover the occasional uh, you know, slot receiver out of the backfield. You've you got to have those guys forcing fumbles. you got to have something. And the Eagles have had nothing at linebacker the last couple of years. They desperately need TJ Edwards to give them some stability in the middle of that defense and basically act as the quarterback back there for, um, you know, for, for the Eagles' defense. Derek Barnett is number four on my list, and it feels like we say this every year about Barnett. But the 2020 season is is going has to, you're hoping for a breakout season from the former first rounder. He had six and a half sacks last year, which is okay, but it's not the production pr- production we were hoping when the Eagles drafted him in the first round. Now in his third season, actually going into his fourth season, six and a half sacks in his third season is just not that great. He's young, no doubt about the fact that he's definitely young for a guy entering his fourth year. And the hope is that with all the help the Eagles have at defensive tackle and uh, with Brandon Graham on the other side of the line, that Barnett will be better here in his fourth year. But with Graham getting another year older, they really need Barnett to step up as the younger guy, as the up-and-coming guy at the other edge spot to make a difference on this defensive line. Barnett's ability to generate pressure consistently could be the difference between this line being a top five unit in the NFL or just being kind of a no-frills, middle-of-the-pack unit that they have been the last couple years. And as everyone knows, the name of the game in today's NFL is the ability to rush the passer. And you know what? Every once in a while, tackle him to the ground while he's holding the football. The Eagles get close a lot. Generating pressures is fine. Generate, you know, knocking the quarterback down is fine. But bringing down the quarterback while he's while he's got the football in his hands puts teams in second and seventeen. Okay, that's more helpful than third and ten. So yes, getting pressures is good. Knocking the quarterback down is good. Generating sacks is also pretty important. And the Eagles have not done enough of that from the edge rush edge rush position in recent seasons. And they need their former first round pick to actually bring the quarterback down while he's holding on to the football more often than he has so far in his career. Finally, Andre Dillard. And I don't know if Andre Dillard is the fifth most important. He might be the second most important. Uh, I put a poll up on the Bleeding Green Nation piece that I did, uh, and it's got over 1,200 votes so far. And right now, nearly four in 10 of you have Andre Dillard as the most important player on this team, not named Carson Wentz. 27% have Darius Slay, and a quarter of you have Deshaun Jackson as the most important player on this team. So, the vast majority of you, a, a solid majority of you, have Andre Dillard as the most important player on this team, not named Carson Wentz. And it's fair to say that 
the offensive line and maybe even the offense itself rests on his shoulders. Last year's first round pick when he did play, played like a first rounder you would ex- played like you would expect a first rounder. Very uneven. He had some good he had some good moments. You have to throw out the the right tackle game against the Seahawks. It's clear he talked himself out of being able to do that even before he stepped on the field. They should have never put him on the field in that spot. It was clear he wasn't going to be able to do it. At left tackle, he had some really bad moments which you would expect from your rookie first-round tackle. But he also had some, I thought, some solid play, some solid games out there at left tackle. I, I thought there was enough there to at least be, uh, to, to at least give him the opportunity to get that job here in his second season. That's why you drafted him, after all, to be your franchise left tackle. And Jason Peters is back. He's going to be the team's right guard, um, which is a good backup plan with, with Brandon Brooks out for the season. But... If Dillard struggles, you're going to have to move Peters over to left tackle, and then that's going to leave a hole at right guard where it's not going to be as as you're not going to have as solid a line. Basically, this this line can be a top offensive line again if Andre Dillard can hold his own. Again, you don't need you don't need Dillard to be a Pro Bowler, but you at least need to see that he could be on the path to that here in his second season. You've got to be at least a little bit of confident that he's going to protect Carson Wentz's blind side. And you, you've Dillard has got to be able to do his job without having a tight end over on that side of the field helping out. Because the Eagles are going to need all of their options in the passing game. If you continually need Dallas Goddard to help chip on edge rushers so that Andre Dillard can survive out there at left tackle, this offense is not going to run as well. And if Carson Wentz has to be, you know, we know Carson Wentz's propensity to fumble the football. If he's getting hit from his blind side, he's going to be putting that ball on the ground a lot, and the Eagles are going to be giving opposing offenses very short fields for much of the season. So they need Andre Dillard to perform like a first-round pick from from two years ago. They they need him to do the job at left tackle in order for this offensive line to fulfill its expectations and for this team to be a potential division winner here in 2020. So those are the five most important Eagles as far as I'm concerned, not named Carson Wentz this year. Deshaun Jackson, Darius Slay, TJ Edwards, Derek Barnett, and Andre Dillard all need to play well here in 2020 if the Eagles are going to win the division for the second year in a row. And remember, no team has won the NFC East two years in a row since the Eagles did it in 2003 and 2004. It's just an amazing statistic that continues to rumble on here and and hopefully will come to an end here in 2020 if the Eagles are able to do it for the second year in a row. And folks, that'll do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. Don't forget to check out the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed on Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star rating and leave a review for Eye on the Enemy. Let me know what you think of the show. Any any areas of our friends in the in the rest of the division that you want me to touch on, don't be afraid. Don't be shy. Leave it in the comments section and... Uh, Uh, We'll do it here on this here podcast over the next uh, few weeks and months as we get ready for the 2020 season. And don't forget to check out all of our fine work at BleedingGreenNation.com. We've got tons of news coming out from training camp every day that you will want to be kept abreast of. And we've got it all for you at BleedingGreenNation.com. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I'll talk to you next time here on Eye on the Enemy. Gee, and...